Welcome to Parenting 101, a podcast for parents of elementary-aged children. I'm Amy Mendel, the lower school director at Kentucky Country Day School. Today I'm joined by Jason Sedlicek, the technology director at KCD, and by Mary Grant, who works in our IT department. Thanks for coming today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great. So our topic today is screen time and how it can affect young children. Um, There was a recent study that talked about how children's brains can be affected by screen time. So basically, parents were asked to report on how much time their children spent on screens, and then brain scans were given to the children. And it was found that the more parents had reported that their children were on screens, the less uh, white matter or myelination of neural pathways were seen in the children's brains. So what that means is neural pathways that we use for things like speech and language were not as smooth as we might expect them to be for those children at that age. Doesn't mean that screen time caused these things, but it means that increased screen time is associated with that change in the brain. So what are we seeing here at KCD in the lower school in terms of child's motor development, emotional, and and other factors? Right, so at KCD, we are seeing that kids are coming to us in a different place than they used to. I've been in education over 20 years, and we are finding that increasingly children need much more um, intervention with speech than they used to need. Children come without sort of the normal social skills that were typical when I first began my teaching career. So we're now explicitly having to tell children how to look at one another. We're explicitly having to teach more word sounds and word play than we used to. Uh, We were going back and doing a lot of the nursery rhyme singing and word play that used to be part of preschool before kids entered school um, to help kids develop phonemic awareness, which is a critical skill for reading. Um, In terms of motor development, children are not reaching some basic expectations that we have for being able to have core strength to sit up on the rug unsupported um, for what we call cross-lateral movement, which means crossing the midline of your body. So crossing, say, your right hand to your left knee, which is a really important part of learning um, language and reading. We're not sure why, but that's associated with each other. Um, And we are finding that extra support is needed for those kids. So our curriculum has changed somewhat. We've started including daily purposeful movement activities for children to combat the skills that they don't yet have when they get to us. And we offer more services here at KCD for speech and language development, as well as occupational therapy to help students develop those skills that they aren't coming to us with anymore. This ties into a lot of the stuff I'm seeing in the gym where they have the lines on the floor and and the students are walking in different patterns and and things like that. That's exactly what that is. So those are purposefully planned movement activities that help um, coordinate cross-lateral movement and also um, stimulate the vestibular system, which is how your body um, processes sensory information. And that's really important for young children to be able to know or for their body to be able to understand how to process all those feelings, sounds, sights, and everything that's coming at them. Hmm. It's really neat. Yeah, I noticed when they put that down, I was curious what it was, and it's neat that we have that here. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, also done in the classroom. So you'll see students in the lower school halls in the morning 
you know, hopping from foot to foot or clapping their hands over their head or in front of their body and behind their body. Push-ups on the walls. Push-ups on the walls, yes, skipping, different things like that. And these are all part of warming up our brains and getting them ready for learning in the morning. So to clarify, when you say screen time, that encompasses what? Television, tablets, phones, gaming, all of it. Yes, anything with a screen. So if you're watching a movie in the car when you're Mm -hmm. coming to and from school, that counts as screen time. If your child's on a phone, that counts as screen time. TV, iPad, computer. Even if they're doing something that you consider educational on the iPad, that's still screen time. And... They might be learning something from that, but there might be a better way for them to learn that without a screen. Um, Are you seeing much um, with the children? I know in the middle school, preteen and teen issues, um, sleep is imperative. The screen time, the blue light um, impacts their sleep. Do you find that you're seeing that in the lower school as well with the children? Um, That depends. So thankfully, lower school children seem not to have access to devices in their rooms Mm -hmm. as much as middle school students do. Um, And lower school kids typically don't need a screen to do their homework. So they are usually not on them um, for school purposes as often. But sleep is a big problem for everybody. Um, Our four to five-year-olds here should be getting about 12 or 13 hours of sleep a night. And I'm not sure that they all are um, because of our our schedules. Um, And even our oldest kids should still be getting nine or 10 hours of sleep a night. Um, and I think as they get older, we tend to treat them more like little adults and, and think that they don't need sleep, but they really need a lot of sleep. Yeah, and being on a screen right before bedtime makes it harder Absolutely. to fall asleep. Absolutely. Yes. So I'm sort of curious about what your thoughts are being in the technology department about how you think this will impact how we're teaching or what we're teaching and doing at schools. For me, uh, you know, I've, I've felt this... I'm not going to call it a backlash, but an understanding of the way that technology is kind of invading every part of our life. And I've been trying to make an effort to focus the direction that we're going in technology here to be something that's put in place for a reason with a, a goal in mind and, and not something that is replacing replacing interaction, but something that's adding, a tool that's adding to what we're doing in the classroom. So I've, I've kind of backed off on looking for the newest, greatest thing as much as understanding what we have now and how we can use it in a better way. And then also saying maybe there's times when technology is, is not the answer at all and we just shouldn't be using it. We should have you know, tech tech free days, which we've tried in the middle school, mm-hmm. um, just days where we're we're backing off and and doing something else, mm-hmm. going outside, which is great here. You know, seeing the way the students are able to play at all grade levels is so neat, and I love seeing that. When I started here, I was I was just happy to see that they're outside and and doing things, not on their device all the time. Yeah, that's an important part, and in lower school specifically. We try to use technology only to really augment something. It has to be an important part of learning for us to use it. Um, And then in the makerspace, the computers are used purposefully for some either coding, learning, or um, programming. Right. It's so easy to become a babysitter or just a a, a time filler. And it's it's just really concerning Mm -hmm. the way people are, are... constantly on technology and it's something that I having a a three-year-old that I'm really trying to be aware of 
where I'm not on my device all the time, regardless of whether she's able to use it, which I don't let her use my phone, I don't let her use my iPad, but I'm setting that example of being on it so much sometimes that I, I wonder what her perception of, yes. of technology use is. Right, and that's a really important thing to remember for elementary age students, that a huge part of this whole culture of technology use comes from what's modeled by the parents, the parents mm -hmm. and the teachers, by us as adults. Um, so if when you're at home with your child, you should put your device away unless it's some sort of emergency. Um, put it away, keep the screens away, keep the games away, and have face-to-face -face interaction. Um, I mentioned before that the increased screen time doesn't necessarily mean that the brain has changed in a young child. That, that doesn't necessarily cause that. But what I think is happening is because students are on screens, they're spending less time doing the things that would create those better neural pathways in the brain. So because we're not singing nursery rhymes in the car with our kids and instead they're watching a movie on the way to school or uh, because we're at home checking Facebook so we can keep up with all our friends and our kids are looking at the TV, we're not having a face-to-face -face conversation with them about what their day was like or playing a board game with them or all of those things that help develop language and social and emotional skills. Yeah. We're trying I'm trying to use I guess the American Academy of Pediatrics has recommended one hour of screen time for my daughter's age level three to I'm not sure the exact range, but in the age three it's one hour is what mm -hmm. they're recommending. So we're trying to use we have um, a device, a Disney Circle, which is a filtering device, but it also allows to set time limits on devices, Netflix, um mm -hmm. Apple TV, etc., which is what we use at home, and setting that to an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, and then it's done. You know, that's that's the amount of time you get. You get home, you don't have any homework because you're three. Watch a little TV, and then that's it. Mm -hmm. you, you we play. You know, maybe you watch a show with us if you want, but it's so boring that you're probably going to go to play. <laughs> and that's, that's something my wife and I were talking about is when when we were young, and I don't want to act like when we were young it was better. It's not right. necessarily what it is, but there's so much choice now. There's just nonstop entertainment, and the availability is insane. You can watch any of 100,000 shows at any time. And instead of you get home, you have kids shows stop at five because that's when the news starts. And then if you want to watch Jeopardy, you can. But right. otherwise, you just play because there's nothing on TV. That's right. Back when there were only three channels, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody was watching the same show. Yeah. Um, well, and you brought up something, too. I mean, the American Academy of Pediatrics has pretty clear limits, well, limit suggestions for what students should be doing with screen time. And one of the key components of those suggestions is that a lot of that screen time with young children is supposed to be with you sitting with them. Mm, so it's right. not just that they're allowed to have that time in front of the screen, but it's that you should be sitting with them, talking with them about what's happening on in Paw whatever. Patrol. Yeah, in Paw Patrol. <laughs> um, when my kids were little, it was Caillou, which I know a oh, lot of adults hate, but yes. we would sit and watch Caillou and then we would talk about it. You know, what? What happened to Caillou? What was the problem he had? How did he solve the problem? You know, all of those things. So that's a big piece of it, too. It's not just to let them go and do that on their own. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, that's done. Now we do something else. It it should also be a conversation point or a learning point mm -hmm. for, for your family. Um, and 
the American Academy of Pediatrics, the last time I checked, had recommended no more than two hours of screen time for any age, mm. I think, until they got into the uh, older teenage years. Well, I'm doing research for um, screen time usage for the middle school age group. Um, it was interesting because that number has fluctuated over the years because um, more and more screen time is happening in that age group. Then it, the experts have to come back and go, okay, do we open this up a little bit? I mean, the ramifications truly on how many hours truly are impacting the development of brain at that point. Right. So um, it's it's kind of a moving target yeah. at this point. Yeah. And, you know, technology, the pace at which technology has become such an integral part of our lives mm-hmm. is so fast that our, as a species, we can't evolve fast enough to accommodate that change. And, I mean, for Pete's sake, we still have things from when humans were first evolving into humans that are part of our bodies now. We, we can't evolve our, our species to adapt to this technology that's coming so fast. So we have to be really mindful about what we're doing with it and how we use it, especially with children. The teachers here recently went to a ISACS conference, and one of the topics that was really popular there was about screen time research by a famous not a famous, but a well-known researcher named Jill Walsh. Did you all have any big takeaways from that time with Jill? Boundaries and um, moderation. You know, tech isn't this big evil boogeyman concept. It does have value in the right place, in the right setting. So a big takeaway I took from one of her sessions was, um, you know, boundaries and moderation. Just have the discipline to be able to set the one-hour time limit and then execute it and follow it through. And I think from a parenting standpoint, um, that's where it can get very tricky because idealistically you're thinking, okay, we're only going to have an hour of screen time today. But then you get home and you've, you've worked all day. Now you're trying to make dinner and you're trying to get older children from one end of town to the other. Um, and so it's a little easier just to go, oh, okay, well, maybe we've gone over 20 minutes today. And it can just build upon itself. And I call it tech creep. Yeah. It just slowly you know, moves in. Um, but that was one of the biggest takeaways was having the moderation and the discipline to execute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's good advice for so many things, not just screen time, but, you know, about sleep and Absolutely. what kids are eating and how many treats they get and, you know, when they get to go buy something at the store and all of those things. And parenting is hard. <laughs> that's why this podcast came to be. Parenting is hard. And one of the hardest things is having to set those limits and be consistent with them because it makes you immensely unpopular. But in the long run, it's much, much better for children, and they will thank you later. How about you, Jason? Easily my biggest takeaway was the reading. Um, reading on a screen versus reading in a book, and how it's been shown pretty definitively that reading on a screen of any type, uh, which is what really surprised me, is is not as conducive to memory, to, to fully engaging in the, the subject, as reading in print, um, and I asked, I asked Jill, are we talking about a Kindle too? Something that is basically mimics a book. There's nothing else going on. It's just the words on the page, and and yes, the research shows you don't remember as well when you read on even a Kindle. Um, Attention isn't there. Yeah, and mm-hmm. that was really surprising to me. I, I kind of thought the Kindle was the um, 
the, the technology we could all love because it's just books. The one thing that was okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's, even that is, is not. So it's making me rethink the way I read. Um, you know, I love the convenience of it. But I, I have found, and I've talked to several people, um, yourself included, Amy, that have said, you know, that I've been reading on a Kindle for a few years, and I don't remember sometimes that I've read a book, like mm-hmm. a whole book. Yes. <laughs> I, I was telling Jason that sometimes I'll go to Barnes & Noble, and um, which I love. I love to have a real book, but I'll pick a book up off the table and think, gosh, this looks really interesting. I think I'd love this book. And then as I sort of peruse it, I'm like, Oh, I think I did read this one <laughs> because I read it on my Kindle yeah. and I don't remember. And it it's weird. Um, the thing that helped me that Jill Walsh said, because that was my big takeaway too from listening to her, um, is that when you're on the screen, it, it's more like your brain is in watching mode. Whereas if you're reading a book, uh-huh. your brain is more in um, learning. And there's a tactile piece to the book too that increases um, the the sensory input and the concentration that you have on the actual book. Um, We do listen to books in lower school on iPads, um, but that is for a different purpose. So all of our students all the time have physical books in their hands every single day, and many times they're taking them home to read at home. When they're listening to a book on a screen, that's because a very important part of learning to read for young children is listening to fluent reading and having fluent reading modeled for you. So the programs that we've chosen to use for that are ones where good fluent reading is being modeled in an appropriate way for each age level because that helps them become better readers. And they're not spending very much time on those each day. So if you're a parent out there wondering why we get on Raz Kids, for example, or Epic, that's why we get on those. Yeah. And I, I do want to say not to demonize uh, this this whole screen time completely, but Jill in her talk did mention that some level of interaction and, and even just straight up gaming mm-hmm. can be healthy for the brain. There's there's connections that are made. There's problem solving. Mm-hmm. And she said she tries to game 20 minutes or so a day, mm-hmm. but just 20 minutes. Right. Not leads to an hour, leads to two, leads to three. Like my 13-year-old who could, I mean, he would easily play for five, six, seven hours, no problem. And, and that's mm-hmm. where there's no benefit to be had. The, the drop-off is severe, and mm-hmm. right at 20, 30 minutes, you're done. You may as well stop because there's no more there's no more um, positive impact to what you're doing. Right. Instead, what's happening in your brain is you're getting positive rewards in a different way mm. from the action that's happening or the if you're on a headset from the interaction you're getting from the other people you're playing with, which, by the way, is not a good idea for young children. <laughs> Um, If you think it's okay for your, say, third or fourth grader to be on a headset while they're gaming, um, don't let them do that unless you know who is on the other end of that headset. We've had kids learn all sorts of inappropriate and colorful things from being on on headsets where their parents thought they were just gaming. So, (laughs) word to the wise. (laughs) Don't do that. Well, I think our takeaway today is the same that we've always said it is. Spend quality face-to-face time with your child. And, you know, one way to think about doing that is to think about reducing screen time. Mm -hmm. But the more face-to-face and interactive time you're spending moving around with your kid, being outdoors, playing games, um, the better it's going to be for your child's brain development and language use and motor coordination. So have fun with your child. Put your screen away. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. We'll be back soon with another podcast on Parenting 101.